Ezra chapter 5. This book of Ezra is a, a book of restoration. A book of God's people, of God restoring his people to a land they were removed from during the time when the Babylonians came and took them away. The Babylonians being used as an instrument of God's wrath upon the land. But now they were being restored years after they have been taken away from their home. Restoring a people from slavery and captivity in Babylon. From Babylon to Jerusalem. This restoration was not always easy as we're going to see in our text this morning. There was discouragement. We just look briefly at verse 24 of Ezra 4. Thus the work of the house of God which is at Jerusalem ceased. And it was discontinued until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. There was discouragement. There was a dropping of the hands in the work of the Lord. Hope, sadly, had been removed from the work of the Lord. And the work had stopped for some 16 years. But the Lord did not leave his people hopeless. The Lord sent Preachers, The Lord sent prophets here. We'll see in a second as we read about Haggai and Zechariah. Hope is restored this way. And before we read this, I want us to think about this, dear friends. How was it restored? And dear friends, in a day when hope is much needed in our communities, in our, in our churches... How can hope, expectation, and the Lord's promises be restored today? So Ezra chapter 5, let us hear God's holy and infallible word. Then the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Ido, prophets, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. So Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, rose up and began to build the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, helping them. At the same time, Tatnai, the governor of the region beyond the river, and Shethar, Bosnai, and their companions came to them and spoke thus to them, Who has commanded you to build this temple? And finish this wall. Then according, accordingly we told them the names of the men who were constructing this building. But the eye of their God was upon the elders of the Jews. So that they could not make them cease till a report could go to Darius. Then a written answer was returned concerning this matter. This is a copy of the letter that Tatnai sent, the governor of the region beyond the river, and Shethar Bosnai and his companions, and the Persians who were in the region beyond the river, to Darius the king, 
they sent a letter to him in which was written thus to Darius the king, All peace, let it be known to the king that we went into the province of Judea to the temple of the great God, which is being built with heavy stones and timber is being laid in the walls. And this work goes on diligently and prospers in their hands. Then we asked those elders and spoke thus to them, Who commanded you to build this temple and to finish these walls? We also asked them their names to inform you that we might write the names of the men who were chief among them. And thus they returned us an answer saying, We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth. And we are rebuilding the temple that was built many years ago, which a great king of Israel built and completed. But because our fathers provoked the God of heaven to wrath, he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Chaldean who destroyed this temple and carried the people away to Babylon. However, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Babylon, King Cyrus issued a decree to build this house of God. Also, the gold and silver articles of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple that was in Jerusalem and carried into the temple of Babylon. Those King Cyrus took from the temple of Babylon, and they were given to one named Sheshbazar, whom he had made governor. And he said to him, Take these articles, go carry them to the temple site that is in Jerusalem, and let the house of God be rebuilt on its former site. Then the name Sheshbazar came and laid the foundation of the house of God which is in Jerusalem. But from that time, even until now, it has been under construction and it is now finished. Now, therefore, it seems good to the king. Let a search be made in the king's treasure house, which is there in Babylon, whether it is so that a decree was issued by King Cyrus to build this house of God at Jerusalem. And let the king send us his pleasure concerning this matter. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word. Our title for this morning's message is Hope Restored. Hope restored through preaching God's word. Hope restored through preaching God's word. In our modern world today, there are many movements, aren't there? If we turn on the news for long enough, we will notice these things. People are protesting about climate change, about racism or rights of certain people, movements of different ideas of thinking and seeking change in the world. Whatever they are protesting about, they want to see something change. And if you listen to some young people, perhaps in work, it's probably one of the things they want to do to change the world. And, and why might that be? Why are people trying to change the world? Could it be the fact that there's so little hope 
among young people, among older people even, in our world. Much hope has disappeared in our current system. And we could all say it needs to change, doesn't it? Without hope, a movement has no purpose. Something is wrong, and they will present the solution. They'll say, here's the silver bullet. Movements often arise to restore hope. And there's a lot of hopelessness and despair today. There is much despair with a society which has become much more fearful. And sadly, with all that fear comes a lot more inward looking. A lot more selfishness. These movements come, the change they want can come as well. But people often find it's not enough. It doesn't satisfy. Whatever changes they want in society, they happen. And it's not enough. They feel dissatisfied more and more. And the hopelessness grows. But dear friends, believers in Jesus Christ, we must be different. Dear friends, we are different because we have a hope which cannot be taken away from us. What we are looking for to keep going in a lost and fallen world. Our hope to keep going cannot come from the latest breakthrough, can it? It cannot come from the latest news. It cannot come from the latest decision from Stormont. If it did, we would be in much hopelessness much of the time. But I speak of hope, not in a general wishful thinking or just an optimism of the future. I'm talking about an expectation of what God has said will come to pass. This is the hope that I speak of, an expectation built upon the promises of God That the future indeed is more glorious than any of the blessings we have received from the hand of God so far. There is better to come. Christians have no reason to retreat from the world and to act like we have no hope. Are you this morning a person of hope? of expectation, of confidence in what God is doing. Yes, we may be few in number, relatively speaking, to the rest of God's people throughout history. But does that matter? God is the one who is at work. Do we have a confidence in what God is doing? Of what God will do and has promised to do, of what God is still doing today among us, dear friends. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. God's people are not a people of hope in our text at the end of Ezra chapter 4. We read Ezra, the end of Ezra chapter 4 verse 24 where the work ceased And the work ceased for some 16 years because of the opposition that they came up against. Ezra chapter 4 has over a hundred years of various type of opposition that God's people faced after they returned from exile. And there was discouragement from the enemy. They gave up. 
They focused on themselves. We know this from Haggai chapter 1. And they went back to the mistakes of their fathers. We know this from Zechariah chapter 1. Does any of this sound familiar today? They gave up. They focused on themselves and their own interests. And they neglected the most important spiritual needs of the people. They built their own houses. And they neglected the house of God. That's Haggai chapter 1 summarized. They placed more importance on other things. Derek Thomas said this, Discouragement is a deadly virus. It saps energy, cripples motivation, and turns folk inward. Discouragement is a deadly virus. And it affected the people here. And this all happened because they lost hope. And dear friends, as we're about to look at this text here this morning in Ezra chapter 5, are you struggling for hope? We all struggle at times, don't we? There are times in our Christian walk we do struggle more than others. Is it the world? Is it the people you work with? Is it the media? Robbing you of hope and peace. Let not the enemy rob you of hope and peace here this morning. God sent the word to be preached in their day. He sent the word to be preached through Haggai and Zechariah to restore hope, to restore expectation, and to restore confidence. So the first point we're going to look at here this morning is preaching, which represents God. So hope is restored through preaching, which represents God. Verse 1. Then the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Ido, prophets prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who is over them. In the name of the God of Israel. Haggai and Zechariah were both sent by God to bring back hope, a hope in God. They did not go to the people with their own ideas. They came with a message that was given to them by God. They were there to speak on behalf of God. Our text said they prophesied. They prophesied to the Jews. Or even that they preached. This word prophesy can be used in different ways in the scriptures. But it generally means setting forth God's truth. Prophesying can even include singing and praising and various different things. But here, it's very much speaking of how they preached and set forth God's truth. A prophet of God had a message to deliver, not to alter. It had to come from God to have his authority and to represent God. His name, his reputation is at stake. His glory is at stake. They prophesy to the Jews in the name, or you could even think in the, in the reputation of the God of Israel. And anything else 
dear friends. It lacks power. Anything else emboldens the enemies of God. Anything else is but inferior weapons, not using the sword of the Spirit. The enemies of God are not encouraged by God. You see this throughout the book of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah as well. In fact, they are discouraged by godly preaching, by this godly message. They do not accept God's authority. God breaks the hope and the expectation of the enemies of God, those who do not trust in Him. And this is why the world rails against the preaching of the gospel and does not want to hear the preaching of the gospel. Because it removes their hope and their expectation in what they are trusting in. But God encourages and brings hope to his sheep. To his pastor. To his people. He is able and powerful to do so. Haggai called them in the name of the God of Israel. In the name of the God of heaven and earth. And so did Zechariah. Can we learn from this today? Yes, we can learn much. Our prophets today are not called in the same extraordinary way that Haggai, Zechariah, Amos, and other prophets of old were called in exactly the same way. But any gospel preacher is called nonetheless by God. The question is not, I think I would like to or quite enjoy speaking. This is a message to be delivered To represent God. God will use the talents of various people. But it is a message from God. A preacher goes because God sends him. It is this inner call. But we might say this is the Old Testament. Can we learn anything about this? For how the Lord may in our midst raise up young men or older men to preach the gospel in our midst. God still sends preachers today. It says in Romans 10 verses 14 and 15. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach Unless they are sent. And how shall they preach. Unless they are sent. As it is written. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. Who bring glad tidings. Of good things. Haggai and Zechariah. They represented God. They were sent by God. They went in his authority. And it blessed the people of God. It brought hope, it brought expectation back to God's people. Because of this, because of God, because of the power of God. Not because of the men were so wonderful or anything else like that. Because of the message that was being sent with. This alone. And might we say today, is there not a lack of hope perhaps in the church of today? The hope and confidence in God will not come back. With some new ideas. 
It will very much come back with some old ideas being trusted in preaching of the word of God. It won't come back with other measures, but it will come back by God. Are we listening? Are we listening to God? God is speaking. He's speaking through his word when we read it in our devotions in the morning and the evening. He speaks through preachers and preaching, those who are coming to fill the pulpits here week in, week out. They are coming with a message from God. He is also speaking through providence of the need for people to repent and believe the gospel. For the time is short. For this, this life is but a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Compare how attentively we listen to the scientists on the news with the latest doomsday prediction compared to the very real expectation, the reality of a coming day of judgment at the end of time. We tremble at one and sadly we do not tremble at the other. If a scientist talks, many listen. But if God speaks, few listen. And why is this? Because we lack the fear of God. If we do listen to him, may it change us. Number two now, preaching which requires repentance. Preaching which requires repentance. So, number one represents God. But number two now requires repentance. Verse two. So, Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josedach, rose up and began to build the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, helping them. Because of the preaching of these two men, and we know from what they preached in, in the book of Haggai and in the book of Zechariah, found at the end of the Old Testament. But because of the preaching of these two men sent by God, there was change. There was change. There was repentance. They were sinners, no doubt. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And there needed to be change. And dear friends, we are sinners, each and every last one of us. And there's areas we all need to change in, myself included. None of our lives are perfect. So we all need to grow in this repentance and faith so that we are more and more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. We won't be completely like him until we're glorified by him. We all need to grow in repentance and faith as they did. Repentance is seen in their action. There was a change of heart. There was a trusting in the message. And then therefore there was a change in how they lived their lives. Haggai preached this in Haggai chapter 1 verses 7 and 8. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple. That I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. 
they had stopped building the temple for almost 60, roughly 16 years. And Haggai tells us they went back to their homes, their homes had roofs and they were completed and everything else, while the house of God remained in ruins. They just built the altar, the foundation, and that was it. And they stopped. They stopped because of the opposition. And Haggai was telling them, consider your ways. Think on what you are doing. Turn from your ways, go up to the mountains, bring wood, build a temple that I may take pleasure in and be glorified. Zechariah preached, Therefore say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets preached, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Turn now from your evil ways and your evil deeds. But they did not hear nor heed me, says the Lord. And we're speaking here of a restoration of hope, aren't we, dear friends? We're speaking of a restoration of hope. But this restoration of hope does not come without a change of heart for God's people. A change in the heart and the mind leads to a change in the hands. What is your attitude to the hearing of God's word? To the preaching of God's word? As it calls you to change, there is an area in your life you know that is wrong in the eyes of God. And you are clinging to it. The Lord says to you today, turn from your evil deeds. Return to him and he will return to you. Does it call you to repent? Because there's a danger, dear friends, that we think, well, it's only my unbelieving neighbor who needs to repent. It's only those people who are getting drunk on a Saturday night. They're the people. They need to, they need to get right with God. And that is true. They do. But let us not think, I'm okay because I'm a Christian. There is a sense of truth in that, yes, if we're a Christian, we will never taste the wrath of God. Praise God. That has been vanquished, that has been done away, and we have been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. But if we have the right attitude toward our sin and our relationship with God, there's always areas in which we need to change and grow in. Because if we fall back into sin, we will lose hope. We will lose confidence. We will lose that expectation of what God is doing. In our text, in the history of God's people, there was a departing from the ways of God. There was a drifting from God. And in this preaching, the preaching of Zechariah and Haggai, there was a demand of change. There was a demand of change. There are different messages in both books of the Bible. Haggai called for change. There was change, we see, at the end of Haggai chapter 1. And Zechariah is a very encouraging book of the Bible. They needed encouragement. They needed to be built up. They needed to be told what you see now is just a small fraction of what it will be like one day. Far greater 
But all that demanded a change. And this repentance, it's not an attack on God's people. It's there to help and build up and to bring you closer to God. It's for their benefit if it is done in love. Come and taste of the blessings of following more closely to Christ. Are you being changed? Then Christ tenderly is there for you, my dear friends. If you are being changed, we're imperfect, all of us. But if you're being changed by the Spirit of God and by the Word of God, Christ is there for you. Christ is there for you in those dark moments. Christ is there for you in the celebration. He is there for you. But the enemy wants us to lose hope. So, dear friends, let us not lose our growth and change of heart more and more to be like him. Number three, now, we're going to look at hope is replenished or restored through preaching which replenishes God's people, replenishes God's people. So it's preaching which represents God, number one. Number two, requires repentance. Number three, replenishes God's people. Tatnai, the governor, reports something remarkable to Darius, Now, Darius is the king of Persia. He is the one who follows in the line of earlier king Cyrus. If you remember back, Cyrus was the one, the earthly king, the king of Persia, who sent them back to the land. But now Darius is upon the throne. And Tatnai is saying something to him. We know he writes to him, verse 3, at the same time, Tanai, the governor of the region beyond the river, and that river is the river Euphrates, and Shat, uh, Shathar Bosnai and their companions come to them and spoke thus to them, who has commanded you to build this temple and finish this wall? So he writes then, verse 7, to Darius the king, all peace Then if we go down to verses 9 and 10. Then we ask those elders. And this is what Tatnai is saying to Darius. Then we ask those elders and spoke thus to them. Who commanded you to build this temple and to finish these walls? We also ask them their names to inform you. That we might write their names of the men who were chief among them. Very threatening, isn't it? Why are you doing this? And could you also give us your names? Imagine if a police officer came along and started asking for your names. You'd get a bit nervous, wouldn't you? And how did they respond? This is Tat and I again writing to Darius. And thus they returned us an answer saying, We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth. What a change from what we see earlier. And we are rebuilding the temple that was built many years ago which a great king in Israel built and completed. This is referring, of course, back to Solomon, the first temple that was built. What a change. The the opposition is still there. They faced opposition as soon as they came back. Ezra chapter 4 talks a lot about the opposition that they would face. The opposition hadn't gone away. The difficulties hadn't gone away. Before, they were weak and discouraged. 
Now they were saying to, their, to those who were oppressing them, we are God's people and we are doing God's work. There's no more hiding in their homes, as we saw in the book of Haggai. But in the public work, in the very public work of building the temple of God. Visible to all who care to see. And how is that possible? The hope is brought back because of the preaching which helped them and fed them and built them up so that they were stronger to face this opposition. We remind ourselves of verse 2. They began to build the house of God which is in Jerusalem and the prophets of God were with them, helping them. Helping them. Uh, Ezra chapter 6 verse 14 talks about the blessing and the benefit of this upon them. Ezra chapter 6 verse 14, so the elders of the Jews built and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Ida. And they built and finished it according to the commandment of the God of Israel and according to the commandment of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. They prospered. They prospered through the feeding of the word of God, principally through the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Lord used means to bless his people. It fed them, it guided them, it guided them away from their own selfishness and isolation, which they faced for 16 years, so focused on their own things. Haggai talks about how they couldn't, all the money they would accumulate, it would be like holes in their pockets, it would be gone as soon as they would get it. It went from that towards an outward and a bold profession of Jehovah and the work he has for them to do. And they needed strength. I wonder, is anyone here into physical exercise? And if you are going to do something very strenuous, if you're going to do push-ups or something like that, you would need to have eaten. If you haven't eaten in a long time, we're going to be weak. We're not going to have the strength. If you're, if you're working on building, lifting things, you need the strength. You need a good breakfast in the morning. Well, God's word here was feeding them and sustaining them and helping them. At the end of verse 2 of Ezra chapter 2, it said the prophets of God were with them, helping them. And that word helping them, helping them, can also be translated sustained. There's a sense of feeding or refreshing or replenishing. This word is an Aramaic word, but the Hebrew word is commonly used with food. With food. This preaching was feeding them. It was supporting them. And this is what godly shepherding does. It feeds or shepherds the soul. What did Jesus say to Simon Peter? It says in John 21 verse 17, he said to them the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? 
And he said to him, Lord, you know all things, and you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And in order for the sheep, in order for the people of God to face what we're going to face, and I believe there may be many challenges in the future, we need to be fed. We need to be fed on our knees in in private devotions, in family devotions before the throne of God, but also among God's people through the means of grace. Does he sustain you and support you? Strengthen you through the preaching of God's holy word? And didn't God sustain you and support you for many years through the preaching of your, of your last minister, the Reverend Gary Barry Galbraith? Many, many years to be thankful for, for that feeding of God's holy word. Something to be thankful for. How he feeds. And not only just ministers, ruling elders across their denomination. To be thankful for. And may the Lord raise up others. Other pastors. To strengthen, to build up and to support the work. And to sustain God's sheep. That they may face what is ahead. Our final point that we're going to look at here this morning is preaching which receives resistance. Preaching which receives resistance. So this preaching represents God. It requires repentance. It replenishes God's people. But it also receives resistance. It receives resistance. Verse 3. At the same time, Tanai, the governor of the region beyond the river, and Shathai, Bosnai, and their companions came to them and spoke thus to them. Who has commanded you to build this temple and finish this wall? The preaching brought repentance, but it also brought replenishing of the needed hope. And in the replenishing of the needed hope, the work began. The work began that had been neglected for many years. But that would also bring them into conflict, into opposition, into facing the enemies of God. There's one theme, I believe, that comes out of the previous chapter, Ezra chapter 4, is that when God's people are doing the work of God, conflict is unavoidable. It's not that we seek that conflict. We are for peace. We should be for peace. We should seek peace where at all possible. But those of the the seed of the serpent, go back to Genesis 3.15, there's enmity between those two seeds. There is division, there is conflict, and there is a war that goes right back to the fall of Adam. This conflict is unavoidable. Tatnai, this governor here, He may not have been openly hostile. He may not have been thinking, I'm going to catch these Jews trying to do their work for God. Aha, I caught you. There's often misunderstanding of the work of God. Is it challenging? They don't think that they're challenging. Who gave you the right to rebuild this temple? Why are you doing this? 
And in the mind of Tatnai, he's thinking, are you rebelling against our king? Are you rebelling against who they saw as the king of kings, Darius? They were very much, we tell you what to do. Don't you dare become too independent. But whatever the cause of Tatnai's question, whatever his motivation, God was protecting them. Verse 5 tells us this. But the eye of their God was upon the elders of the Jews so that they could not make them cease till the report could go to Darius. So the report had to go to Darius, but the work didn't stop. And clearly, Tatnai had these questions. Why is this going ahead? Why are you doing this? But the hand of God, the eye of God was upon them. And the work continued, even in the face of such resistance. There will be not just resistance to the message, there will be resistance to any change that is brought about by the message of people like Haggai and Zechariah. Slaves to sin will not like it. They love their sin, and they do not like to be told that they are a sinner, and they do not like to see a life lived out for Christ that reminds them that they're not living for God. It is even more convicting when lost people see others changed by the preaching of God's word and applying applying the word of God. Not just, we're, we're learning history here and that's very in, interesting. But how does this change us? How does this change how we live? How does this change our confidence and our hope in God? It brings resistance because the lost one don't want to see the fruit of this change. But dear friends, as the work of God's truth goes forward with mighty power, and there's opposition, and there's resistance, it is powerful enough that the world cannot stop it. The opposition that you face to your faith cannot stop the message cannot stop what God has intended it to do from going forward. It cannot. And that can be preaching from the pulpit or from the open air if it is done in love, but it is powerful. Loving preaching is not to look for opposition, to think, oh, I'm being, I'm being so faithful to God, but there will be resistance. There will be challenges there will be opposition. Also with this, it also helped them to see why they were in exile. Verse 12 of this letter, Tanai is reporting to Darius what they told him. But because our fathers provoked the God of heaven to wrath, he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Chaldean. Why were they in exile? Why were they in captivity? Because of sin. And they saw this. They saw this. But the same message, dear friends, restores hope. It restores hope. It, it encourages us, doesn't it? When we see others living for God. 
When we see others, maybe young Christians, taking something they've heard in a sermon and applying it to their lives, it is encouraging and it is wonderful. But what can we do here this morning? As we hear about the ministry of Haggai and Zechariah and the hope that was restored through that, what can we do? We can pray, can we not, for elders. Elders and those who are being interim elders at the moment in your congregation. Pray for their, for their blessing. Pray that God would raise up preachers of the gospel. That the Lord would be merciful to this part of the world once more. And that, that message would be given in a way that would love God's people. That we would encourage each other. Hope. We need hope, don't we? We need expectation. We can encourage one another. We can point each other towards the promises of God. And when we are down at our lowest, we point towards the victory that we have in Christ Jesus. Dear friends, encourage not the message of the world. The message of the world, the message of the modern media or everything else, it robs of hope and joy. Success within the church is not in numbers. It is not the way the world views success. But in a lowly sinner applying truth to their lives and growing in grace, filled with hope. We need to be changed by the word to hope. To be confident. To be expectant of what God will do. What God will surely do. What will never come in the way of God's purposes and plans. He would build his temple. The temple was completed as prophesied. And dear friends, his temple, his spiritual temple, with all the building blocks of all the people will be added to the church of God. That temple too will be completed. And you will be brought safely to your home in heaven. But I speak this message to Christians, those who know Christ. Do you know him? Do you know him? Do you truly know him? Have you repented of your sins? Are you born again? Do you love the word of God? Is it sweet to your taste? Does it delight your soul? If you do not know him, dear friend, here this morning... No matter how many times you have come to church in the past. That is not what saves. It is by faith alone. In Christ alone. By grace alone. Amen.